Hello, Texans. Welcome to the program Tuesday night. Let's have some fun. Great to hear Case Keenum on the radio with Andy Kalu and Drew Doherty. Case, a Texans legend. Johnny, John Harris is with us, of course. We have Texans Legends, which is the formal league marketing name for any player who has played in the NFL now retired. They're all considered legends, and there's some confusion about that. Why do you call... Moran Norris, I hate to single out Moran because I think he is kind of a legend. He's a Madison Marlin. But yes. why do you call a guy like that a legend? Didn't play that long for this franchise because they're all legends. That's why we do it. But Case Keenum is a yeah. legend and someday will be one of these other legends. But he's already a legend and he's still playing for the Houston Texans. That's nice. It is. I got a question and I thought about this. We, mm -hmm. we joked with Andre the other day about you know, taking the University of Houston head coaching job. Yeah. You think that case would entertain it? Uh, look, they, I didn't hear the whole show. I don't know if they addressed that or not. Yeah. But I don't think so. I think, I can't speak for him, but these players know what they're getting into when they get into that, right? Yeah. You know, look, people ask you all the time. Let me ask you this, Johnny. Here we are. It's Tuesday night. Let's just have some fun. Yeah. Let our hair down, so to speak. I am sure yeah. you get asked all the time, why not go back into coaching? Why not go into coaching? You know? Yeah. Why not? I mean, I mean, it's, it's such a, it, I don't want to say it, it's such a unique business because there are so many out there, but it is such an all in business. Mm -hmm. How the, the week goes for you is solely dependent on how Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon went. Yeah. And that's a tough way to live life, you know, but, you mean we don't have that? <laughs> we don't have that now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I thought Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I just realized that's I how I live my life anyway. Yeah, I know. You're, pro you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, I know a long, long time ago, I remember there was, a, there was a job that was probably at the time better than the job I ended up taking at Episcopal that was available, and they wanted me to take it. And I just kind of felt like, you know, I don't know that I'm ready. It yeah. was weird. It was, a, it, you know, I've always felt like I can handle anything, but I just kind of felt like I wanted to be true to everything about the job before I dove in. You know, I didn't want to go in there and just, you know, for two or three years be learning on the job with everything I was doing. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to give, you know, a fair shot to my, my players, my program, the school, et cetera. A few years later, an opportunity came up and I felt like I was ready. And I don't know whether Case would feel like he's ready or not, but I do feel like Case can do whatever he wants. I, I, I'm not. I, I think he is capable of doing sure. anything. Sure, it's not about that. Yeah, go ahead. I just think he could. I think he could be a whale of a coach, mm -hmm. a whale of a coach. I have always had this issue in this thing. It's funny. I talked to Bill Laser the other day. Uh, Bill and I. He's our senior offensive assistant, and Bill and I played against each other when he was at Cornell. Wow. And I was at Brown. We're the same year. We're class of '94. His son is going to go to Brown, which is awesome. Lefty quarterback, 6'5", big guy. Can't wait. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Um, but the Cornell job just came open. Ooh. And I, I said, Ooh. you know, was that, I was thinking that might be a, a, you know, would it be something he thought about? And I don't know whether, you know, coaches, once they get to the NFL, it's not what they're thinking about. I told him, you know, I said, the one thing I never wanted to do as a coach was I never wanted to go back to Brown. I never wanted to go back to my alma mater and coach as weird as that sounds. I yeah. never wanted to go back to my alma mater because I had such, even though our football seasons were great, I have such great feelings for Brown and admiration for the, the town East Providence and everything about it that I go there 
and say things don't go well as a coach and I get fired, then the thing that I loved for all those years, all of a sudden, I don't want to set foot on that campus anymore. Yeah, they fired I don't you. want to be around it. And there's just a lot of, you know, it'll be expectations. You're an alum and all that. And it would be a hundred times worse for Case if he were to do that at the University of Houston. But I know he loves University of Houston. I hope that in some way, shape, or form, both he and Andre are included in whatever goes on at the University of Houston um, going forward with the football program. I think that would be awesome. I still think Case can throw it around. There's no question. Um, and that's also the thing, too, for, you know, for Case. I'm sure he still feels like, man, I could throw it around a little bit. Yeah. And I like being in this building. I like being around CJ and Davis. I like what we got going. So uh, I bet there's a lot at, 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 you know, that he's still thinking about. But I feel like Case would be a tremendous coach whenever he's ready for it. I just don't know if this is, you know, too too soon for it or, you know, whether he would think about it or entertain it at all. He's an amazing instructor just watching him work with young guys. I watched him work with Xavier Hutchinson in training camp, Mark. It was pretty cool. Mm. Um not training camp, uh, OTAs. He would take X after practice, and there was a route they kind of missed. They worked on that route over and over. In between each rep, Case would come over and instruct him on something, and you could just tell how much uh, Xavier was taking in of what Case was teaching him. And I just, I've always kind of felt that about Case, that he was going to have that magnetic pull, and I think he's going to be a great coach. And seeing that has made me feel like, yeah, he's going to be a great teacher uh, of the game as well, which I think a lot of programs would love to have, not just University of Houston. I think the coaching part of it, though, is what is missing sometimes with the head coach, right? If you go from no coach to head coach, right. you've missed out on all that teaching because the yep. head coach can only teach so much. He's got to be the CEO. He's got to coach his coaches, right? Yep. Manage your managers. It's one thing when you become the boss. It's another thing when you're the boss and you have bosses beneath you who have right. employees and you've got layers and then layers upon layers as you move up in the food chain in corporate America or coaching. Because D'Amico, he could do some instruction, right? He could tell Christian Harris, hey, this, that, the other thing. He can't spend that much time with him because he's got to deal with everything. And he's got to coach Chris Kiffin to coach the way he wants to coach. And I'm sure Chris Kiffin has his own ways of doing things, too. And D'Amico might be supportive of that or adjusting or whatever. I'm just giving an example here. Who knows? Sure. But I can bet on that, that you miss some of that as the head coach. I remember when Bill O'Brien got in here, his first offseason, and we had it on video. We mic'd him up, and he was teaching the receivers about free release. or I mean, they know about it, but he was perfecting it with them. And I thought, oh, he likes to get dirty with the different position groups. And why wouldn't you? You know, he enjoyed that part of it. And he just came from Penn State and obviously New England before that. I could see the joy in coaching for sure for a lot of these guys. What about Greg Olson, Carolina? You know, I think Dion made it. I don't want to use the word acceptable, but feasible, but possible that it's in the realm of possibility that somebody could step in without experience or yep. much of any experience other than playing and being around it a whole lot, and they could possibly be effective. I'm not saying Dion's the be-all, end-all, but Dion's done a pretty nice job by all accounts in Colorado, and I know recruiting has so much more to do with it in college uh, than just the coaching, and obviously brought 110 players there, whatever the number is. But for Greg Olson to want to do it, I see why you'd want to do it. I don't think it's going to happen. Jeff Saturday did it with the Colts. He won one game last year. 
who knows? I just think you need somebody who's been around it a little bit more. You'd want to be in the building for a while as a head coach. Look, the McCown thing came up with the Texans, right? Because he was interviewed yep. for the job, and people thought, is Josh McCown really qualified to coach an NFL team? Look, not saying he can't pull it off, but I think even the experience he has now doing 10, 11 games with the Panthers as quarterbacks coach, that's got to help him seeing yep. the coaching grind if he does want to continue his coaching career and take it up a few notches. Well, you end up seeing the other side of life. You end up, you know, as a player, you know, you obviously spend a lot of time. This was, you know, Josh, I thought the last probably four or five years of his career, he was kind of acting as a pseudo quarterback coach yeah. as it was. Yeah. But you have to go beyond that. Yeah. You know, the Way meetings. Yeah. How do you how do you handle things in meetings with other coaches? How do you um, you know take instruction from the head coach as a coach? How do you, you know, coach the, you know, the, the analysts and the assistants that you have to do things the, you know, the way that you want them and the, and the right way and all that kind of stuff. There's, there's so much that goes into it that I look at a guy like D'Amico Ryan's and in some sense, I'm flabbergasted in some sense, how quickly it seems as if people follow his lead and that he is leading a team of full grown men to do things that nobody really thought they could do yeah. and to pull in coaches from a number of different It wasn't okay. Yeah. He got Bobby cause he knew Bobby, you know, but there were some other coaches that he had connections to. There were some, he had no connections yeah. to. And yet he's seemingly made all that work. I think that to me is the challenge for, for all coaches. I, I, I was always, and I, and one of the things I, I, I always thought about being, you know, fat, I continued in coaching. One of the things that I always thought about was, putting together a staff. I always thought that was cool. Yeah. That was, I thought that was fun. You know, being able to put together your staff and have guys around you had the same thought or, you know, you could get them all together to have the same thoughts and then go out, and win games with them. I, I just, I feel like that's such a cool thing to do. And I, I go in the back of the locker room, you know, for my post game interview and I kind of hang out in the back of the locker room, kind of out of the way. And the coach's locker room is kind of back there. So I see the coaches after the game and they're hugging each other and just what they've gone through to get to that point, yeah, to get to a win, you know, the, the six days of, you know, 20 hours a day, basically of just being together and grinding and finding something that you did in that game to get you a win. It's so exasperating and it's addictive. It's addictive. There's a, there's just a, it's a different kind of drug. And there are some people that uh, just are, they can't get it out of their system. Yeah. They really can't, you know, and you look at Greg Olson and, you know, I think, okay, he's, you know, he's at games, he's up in the booth, you know, he's feeling that excitement, but it's probably not scratching the itch. Maybe that the competition that's provided when you go down on the field and you're looking across from an opponent going, I'm going to beat you today. We're going to beat you today. Yeah. And then have that, you know, exhilaration of doing that. I, you know, it's hard to say that there's a lot like that, you know, and I think it's, uh, I'm just curious what case is going to do. I, I'd be curious if a team is going to, if the Panthers would just at least talk to Greg Olson and just say, okay, we want to hear what you have to say and see if that's something that, Hey, down the road, he might try and do. I We've seen a lot go the other way go to coaching to the booth. We haven't seen a ton of booth to coaching, uh, but maybe Greg Olson kind of kicks that off. I don't know. We'll see. It'll I would interview him. Carolina. 
I would interview everybody. Yeah, I would interview absolutely. anybody who wanted to interview who I thought was remotely qualified because I want to hear yes. what they have to say about us, about me. And I want right. to see, I want to get a comparison. I want to get a baseline. I want to understand what I'm dealing with here. I know Tepper's interviewed a few times, okay? He's oh. been in some <laughs> interviews. We know this, but yeah, more information is not a bad thing. He needs better evaluation. Uh, it did not work out there. I'm still freaked out that that's the one win they have, the loss that the Texans have that's just sort of sticking in our craw right now. Because, look, I know the universe changes. Maybe you don't win the close games you did. I, I think it, it goes like that, Johnny, don't you? You've played yeah. seven in a row now of down-to-the-wire games. Now, it still boggles the mind that they lost that one when you had second and five at the 35 of Carolina with a chance to just get a field goal or something, get out of the game, just make it tough for them and get out of the game. And you couldn't do it with this offense. It's amazing to me, but never mind. But when you have so many close games in a row, you're going to win, uh, you know, your, your fair share. Hopefully you win more than 50%. They have They're four and three in these close games in the last seven. And I don't know what's going to happen against Denver, but I'd love to see a blowout victory. Thank you. Serve that up. Yes, please. Yeah. Oh something. my God, I would yeah. love to see. Uh, I would love to see that. Here's I, I always think about this, Mark. You know, because I, I I was actually thinking about it as I was driving up to the show on Monday, and I was like, God, like that Carolina game just stands out like a sore thumb. Like, oh my gosh. But the Denver Broncos in 1998, bringing up the Broncos, the Denver Broncos were six. I'm sorry, they were five and eight. They're five and eight. And the Broncos were undefeated. The New York Giants were five and eight. The Broncos were undefeated, 13 and 0. Oh, okay. And they go to New York, five and eight, and get beat. Mm. They end the they end the undefeated season. The Broncos had won 13 straight. There's all this talk about, oh man, they're the best team ever. They're gonna go undefeated. The 72 Dolphins are freaking out. The five and eight Giants beat them. That's Beat life. Them. That's NFL stuff right there. That's yeah. NFL so, football. It happens. Yeah, it happens. And that's, you know, what about I think the Eagles? What about you the know, Eagles losing to the Jets? <laughs> there, was a, there was a meme that popped up. Mark. Yeah. Star Wars? <laughs> no. <laughs> there was a meme that popped up and it said, I am still the only quarterback to beat the Eagles. <laughs> oh, oh and Zach it's Wilson. This really dramatic yep. Zach Wilson pull up mm -hmm. photo mm -hmm. video. <laughs> Yeah, I'm it's sure he true. did it all. He did it all by himself, Johnny. Didn't need any help from that Jet D. Oh, by the way, all right, while we're on the subject, we're just bashing things around, batting things around here on a Tuesday night. So Aaron Rodgers says today about the comeback possibility mm -hmm. if, uh, you know, if he's able to and if the Jets are still alive. Now he's got the caveat, the disclaimer here. Jets must still be alive for postseason consideration for me to come back. That's it. And he's not playing next week. We know that by now. If he was going to play next week, he'd be practicing already. He's no way going to play next week. And I remember about a month ago, people thought, he's going to be back for the Texans game. No, it's no. not going to happen. You're going to see Boyle or Zach Wilson or somebody like that, unless they get somebody else that we're not thinking of right now. But I don't think that's going to happen. Josh Dobbs does have a job, at least for the next 10 minutes or so. You know, it's interesting. I heard, um, I think Sean and Seth were talking about that on uh, Tuesday morning that I can remember. And they were talking about Rogers saying, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to come back, you know, Christmas Eve, that's the day I'm coming back no matter what. And I thought that's not really smart because first of all, if the Jets season just goes down to tubes over the next few games, 
the Jets could be looking at pick number two or three in a draft. Yeah. Presumably. And so Rodgers is going to go win a couple games and show that he still got it and cost them draft position and at the same time taking an injury risk when they play at Cleveland and at New England two of the last three games. Yeah. A 40-year-old coming off Achilles tendon surgery to go play in frigid cold in Cleveland and New England and you still and you have another year left on your contract there's no way that he's coming back for that no, no way. There, there's no way no way the jets have to step in and go whoa 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 no this this cannot happen you cannot go out on the field no matter what look you've proven that you can come back from this you've proven you're superhuman i mean look would i love to see aaron rodgers in in a you know play absolutely not december 10th but absolutely, I would love to see him play. But it would be dumb. It would be absolute insanity for him to get on a field, given all that I just mentioned, for the Jets in 2023. No way. It's no, uh, just ridiculous. It's four losses in a row for the Jets now. That's next week's Texans opponent. They have Atlanta this week, then Houston, then the Dolphins, Washington, Cleveland, and the Patriots on the way out. I see at least three more losses there. Of yep. course, miracles could happen, but I see seven and ten here for wait, three more losses. Does that bear around one, two, three? Yeah. I mean, yep. that's if they go three and three yep. down the stretch, that's actually a pretty impressive finish considering the state they are in right now. But right. seven and ten, six and eleven. I worry about Robert Sala, our buddy in New York and yeah. former defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. D'Amico's former boss, one of them. I worry about him because Look, it's a bad look, but Joe Douglas, come on. You set this thing up for Zava and friends, and once <laughs> Zava goes out, friends don't help you as much as they were going to. It just right. It's all set up for his liking, to his liking, Nathaniel Hackett. What were we saying about Nathaniel Hackett last year? And what does that look like now? Early on with the Broncos, it looked like, oh, it wasn't Hackett. Now it looks like... Was it Hackett? Uh, was he? How much of the problem was he in Denver? Then you look at New York's offense, you're thinking, hmm, interesting. So you're saying you need one of the greatest quarterbacks who ever lived to run your offense. Is that what you're saying? So to right. me, I'm worried about, and, and I don't look at that as a Sala hire. That was an Aaron Rodgers hire. So I think Rob deserves another shot at this thing, but that's yeah. just me. What do you think? Okay. I, I, I've been thinking about this because I brought up the whole draft thing. Yeah. I'm going to throw a scenario at you. Okay. Let's say the Jets just, the bottom drops out. They can't win another game. Yeah. They finish four and 13. Uh-huh. But Woody Johnson understands, okay, look, not having Aaron Rodgers, like, uh, that was that was a killer. Um, We need to bring Robert back. They sit third in the draft order behind two teams that apparently have their quarterback going forward in the Panthers and the Cardinals say things don't go well for them, which they haven't to this point, Panthers, Cardinals, one, two jets are three. Wait, Chicago now, is, has the Panthers pick. So we got to talk about that. Well, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Chicago. Well, well that's that. Yeah. That throws a wrinkle into it. Either way, point being, because there are a ton of quarterbacks. Yeah. Would it make, what would you do if you're the jets? Would you invest in a quarterback? Yes. Invest in a quarterback and let him sit behind Rodgers. Yes. 
bring Rodgers back. I mean, it might yes. end up being the best situation ever, but they could bring Rodgers back and draft the future. That's not Zach Wilson and move forward that way. Let Rodgers teach that young dude. And then Rodgers steps aside mm-hmm. and steps in Drake may Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, whomever to run the jets going forward. So that becomes really interesting to me how the Jets kind of handle that part going forward. I would bring Rodgers back, presuming he wants to. I would say, listen, we can't hire Randall Cobb, and we can't go get Antonio Freeman or whoever else you want. I mean, I don't even know. Forget Uh, that. You know, all these Packer guys or whatever. We got to build this thing around. We'll build it around you offensively, but we got to get ready for the future at the same time, somehow, some way. And you can school the young quarterback or he can just be around you and absorb whatever he can absorb. You know, it's a, it's a Rogers, yep. Brett Favre situation, right? That kind right. of thing, or a Jordan love Aaron Rodgers situation. So get your guy, let him sit. And CJ Stroud has made life very uncomfortable for Caleb Williams, Drake may whoever comes in to the draft high, yep. because everyone's going to be wanting that. And not expecting that necessarily, but hoping for that. That's become the the bar, and it's very Mm -hmm. high, and it's going to be hard for those guys to reach it. But anyway, you get to go to New York if you're a quarterback, sit behind Aaron Rodgers. He might get hurt again, so maybe you're playing at some point soon. But sit behind Aaron Rodgers, watch him, learn, just like Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith. Now, Alex Smith is way better than Aaron Rodgers. I mean, uh, other way around, Rodgers better than Alex Smith. But that was a very good Kansas City team, a playoff team that Mahomes was drafted to. They had the luxury to be able to sit him for a year, and then look what happened. And that's not why it happened. That's not the only reason, but it probably helped them to sit for a little bit anyway. So sit a guy and come back, do it that way. I would be all in on that if I... I was a Jets fan, and I'm clearly not, but I think that's not a bad way for them to go about their business. And am I am I right about my C.J. Stroud barometer that Caleb Williams, the expectations are high enough anyway, but they're going to be even higher after people see what C.J. is doing this year? Absolutely. C.J. has moved the bar so much as you know for these rookie quarterbacks. And I mean, it's it's I mean, Mark, it's a trem- it's a tremendous class. And, you know, I, I know you've often joked about, well, you know, everybody says the next class is a better class. Yeah. You know me, I'll, I'll tell you like back in the Kenny Pickett class, I was like, this is not the class you want to have a draft yes. pick, yes. you know? And then I said about this class, like, boy, I think there are some elite guys. Now there's some questions about a few guys because Anthony Richardson, wildly talented, you know, we went through all that. Yeah. This class, this class has an opportunity to be unbelievable. Yeah. Caleb Williams, Drake may. Now some of these guys, these guys all have to declare. They will. They, you would think they will panic. JJ McCarthy, Michigan's very good. Bo Nix, Oregon, Michael Penix, Quinn Ewers at Texas. What does Shadur Sanders do? Um, this class is really, really good. I think you can get a top notch quarterback. I mean, the thing about them is they all play the game. As we've talked about, there's mobility involved in their game. They don't have to rely on it, though. It's not all about that. But they're, I mean, Caleb Williams, I know there's been a lot of talk about him and, you know, some of the, the responses to the end of his games and, you know, his crime, you know, next to his mom after they lost to Washington, all that kind of stuff. Caleb Williams is a supreme talent at quarterback. Let me throw this one at but you, though. CJ's, change, CJ's changing the expectation level for those quarterbacks just as much as he's changing the expectation level of what people think the Texans should do. Is Caleb Williams 
in your opinion, well, never mind your opinion, but your opinion of people's boards around the league, do you think he's taken a dent? And if he has, who has replaced him? Maybe he's taken a dent, but he might still be the number one guy. But if he's not the number one guy on people's boards, is it Knicks? Is it May? Is it somebody I'm not thinking of? I think most people, if they have moved Caleb down or they didn't have Caleb at number one, it was Drake May. May is the guy at 6'4", almost 6'5", 220. Marquise, Drake May at North Carolina is so incredibly talented. His size is like Colin Kaepernick, but he throws the ball like CJ. So I'm like, okay, what's the comp for a guy like Drake May? Mm. But both Caleb Williams and Drake May, both of them, the last two, three games of the year were a mess. Mm. They were they were a mess. And, you know, some of Caleb's is off the field. You know, he didn't meet with the media. You know, yeah. USC kind of kind of went sideways on a number of things. Yep. So I think there are going to be some scouts that want to see a little bit more maturity from that standpoint. I don't think Drake Mays ever had those issues, but Drake's had some issues throwing the ball the last couple of games of the year. So there's still tremendous quarterbacks. I mean, look, at this time last year, there were a lot of people saying, well, C.J. Stroud only completed like seven of 19 passes at Northwestern. So, like, he's not that good. <laughs> I mean, look at him now. So yeah. I think what the Texans have shown, though, is that that quarterback needs to go to the right place. Kansas City was the perfect spot for Patrick Mahomes. He needed Andy Reid. He needed Andy Reid's hands-on approach, yet creativity to allow Patrick to be who he is. C.J. Stroud coming to Houston was absolutely perfect coming to this coaching staff led by D'Amico, Bobby Sloka as the offensive coordinator. And, of course, having receivers. 6'4", Nico, blazing fast tank, the ultimate vet in Robert Woods. The versatile Noah Brown. I mean, having all those and Dalton Schultz, you know, all these, all these things that were surrounding CJ when he got here. Those guys aren't going to have that that fortunate opportunity to have all that. So they got to make the most of wherever they end up going. But this crop of quarterbacks from a talent standpoint is off the charts. All right, you just made a point that I want to dig into a little bit more about the supporting cast around CJ plus. It's a special Texans anniversary today. I don't know if Johnny knows this, but we're going to talk about it. It's one of the great moments, is it, of franchise history. It's Texans Radio. All right, back here, Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Texans All Access. Johnny, you brought up a point before the break about the supporting cast. And the way you put it, a lot of these guys won't have, I'm paraphrasing here, the benefit of sure. a Noah Brown and Tank Dell and Nico Collins. I just love how these guys, and I, I say this as a credit to them, how these guys are called outstanding weapons now around the league. And some people are using this as a, quote, excuse, not that you are, why Bryce Young isn't doing better because he doesn't have these great weapons. Well, where was this evaluation in August and July of these weapons, right? A lot of people, national pundits, were saying, well, look at that supporting cast. He's just not going to be able to get it done. Yeah, Damian Pierce is pretty good running back, but what else do they really have? And I thought at the time, Johnny, I literally thought this. Hey, don't they know who Dalton Schultz is? And it <laughs> yeah. wasn't like I thought Dalton was going to catch 100 passes, but Dalton's pretty good. What about Devin Singletary? He was the Bills' leading rusher. They're a pretty good football team, and he's a pretty good running back. Why don't you at least mention those guys, those free agent acquisitions? And then you look at, hey, Nico's caught some balls. I know he has 
had some injury issues or whatever. I'm talking back in the summertime. But look at him now, right? You have Nico Collins doing very well for himself. 800 receiving yards on the mm. season with six to go. You have Noah Brown leading the league in yards per catch. You have Tank Dell right up there in both categories and seven touchdowns on his stat sheet. They are balling. Dalton Schultz with seven TDs. This is just so much fun to watch. I think it's a credit to them and CJ, the whole gang working together very well. Yeah, you said it right there, Mark. The whole gang has worked together really, really well. Uh, I, I, you and I talked about this and we're like, you know what? I, I feel like we're better at receiver than people think. And the one thing that I really liked about it was, okay, what do receive? What do you want to have in your receiver group? We'd like to have some size. We want to have some speed. We'd like to have some smart route running. We'd like to have all that. Well, the Texans have that in just three or four different guys. Some places have a wide receiver one that does all of that. And then the other guys sort of compliment him. I feel like the Texans needed all those different assets and they had them, but they just had them in different guys. And so you're wondering, okay, how does that all, how does that all come together uh, in this offense? Well, we've, we've seen how it's, it's come together. And I don't know that, that Bryce completely had that, but to me, and I saw this back. I remember the very first preseason game I saw for Carolina. I saw that offensive line trying to protect Bryce. And I thought, Oh, oh boy, this is not, I don't care who he has a receiver. He's not going to get the ball off. Now, I do think that that Bryce has shown a couple of things in Carolina that, you know, he's things have to speed up for him. CJ's already sped those things up. Yeah. But yeah. he's got to speed things up. He He's turning down NFL open receivers and looking for college open receivers. And that's, he's not going to find that. Now, his receivers, I think they could obviously use a glow up. There's no question. But Adam Thielen's been really good. Yeah. You know, Adam Thielen's been good for him. But I think Mingo had a decent game against us. He but did. He's kind of been a little bit of a disappointment. Mm -hmm. You know, I think they expected more from him. Whereas you look at the Texans receivers and you're like, which one has been a disappointment? Well, none of them. They've all really, I don't want to say played above their above their pay grade, but they they really have played well together. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's made that receiver group really, really good. But it just goes to show, man, you know, sometimes I just hearing all that over the summer, I was like, man, I, I got a feeling people are going to just change their tune and we're going to have receipts of it. And yeah. everybody's kind of changing their tune now. It's like, oh, no, we heard y'all. We heard y'all this summer. 32nd wide receiver group in the <sighs> league. Now, where would people put it? Oh, I'd be curious to know where people would put it now. A lot know? higher. Oh, well, CJ's made them. No, no, no. Let's be careful. Yeah. They've made each other. They've yeah. all worked really well together, and I hope that continues. Well, I think the chemistry has a lot to do with it. The camaraderie, yeah. the chemistry, the way they work together and want to be together and the way they operate, it's it's so cool. And, yeah, the Panthers also have Chark. They have Hayden Hurst at tight end. All right. How about this for Hayden Hurst? I'm looking at the numbers right now. He's been targeted 32 times but caught 18. That's not good. That's no, not no. good for a tight no. end. Ouch. So, the, and the best yard per catch average is Chark at 13. For a guy like that, mm. that's not getting it done, obviously. Well, they're having a new coach, and they'll have their own issues to deal with. Yep. Meanwhile, the Colts, Johnny. I want to get into this before I get into that special Texans anniversary. Jonathan Taylor might have an injury issue, okay? 
which, uh, which would uh, be a problem for them. But they've been running the ball well, even without him at times this year, right? Because they have yep. Zach Moss, and, and he's pretty good. And they've been doing this with Gardner Minshew. They have the same record as the Texans, and, of course, they beat the Texans, so that's pretty good. Now, Minshew's not setting the world on fire. Eight TDs, seven picks. That is not attractive. He's got less than 2,000 passing yards, but they've been doing it on the ground. Moss has 672 yards. Taylor, 414. They're both averaging well over four. Well, at least Moss is at 4.8. Taylor at 4.1. And that's about it for them in the running back department. But what more could you ask for? And Pittman's having a nice year at 76 catches for 784. Josh Downs is looking good for them, that rookie, right? Yep. 566 yep. through the air, 566 yards. They've got some things going for them, and this, to me, and maybe I'm just being poetic, operatic, dramatic, it's going to come down to that game. I just have the feeling that we're going to be going to Indianapolis week 18, and it's going to be on the line for the Houston Texans that they have to beat the Colts to get in, and maybe the Colts get in with a win, and won't that be something? Yeah, I, th- I think that week 18 is coming down to that. You know, it's interesting you brought that up about Zach Moss and, and Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Ian Rappaport put out a report earlier today about a, a potential hand or wrist issue for Jonathan Taylor. And you think that identity of that team has really kind of changed back to we're going to we're going to ground and pound mm-hmm. because they have two guys that can do it. Well, you take one guy out of that mix. That that's huge. Now, yep. even though Zach Moss had a great game against us, it's huge once you get to week 18. Yep. And we are a completely different run stopping team. Yep. Watch every single run rep. And it was it was impressive to watch our guys get off blocks, be violent, set the edge. And really, other than the one run that ETN had that he kind of broke out and then Steven Nelson almost knocked the ball out at 24 21. That was it. That was all that he really got. So if the Colts have both guys, it's that much more difficult to stop that offense because, okay, Zach Moss needs a rest. All right, here comes Jonathan Taylor or vice versa. I mean, that's just that much harder to stop. And that's what I'm hoping we can get to, or that's what I'm hoping we can get to with Devin and with Damian is that kind of thing. We're not there yet. At least we weren't last week. Hopefully we can get there. Maybe this is a week against Denver. We can do it. Point being, you take Jonathan Taylor out of that offense. He and that offensive line are kind of the identity. I mean, Moss too. I mean, both of them. But now take one out of there. It just slows it down yeah. and puts a little bit more pressure uh, on Gardner Minshew. And look, Gardner Minshew went to Germany and produced 10 points. 10. And they won. So, you know, the New England, the, the Patriot defense is good. It's not that good. So there, there are some of those games in the Colts bag, if you will. It's just a matter of the Texans in week 18, a long ways from now, not seemingly, um, they've got to pull that game out of the Colts in their building, which is going to be tough. But, Mark, I'll, I'll be honest. I love it. I love the fact that a Texans-Colts game in Week 18 in Indianapolis means something. I, I love it. I mean, we 15, it wasn't Week 18. But 2015, how much did that game mean for the division? 2016, that game meant a lot for the division. Yeah. Last year, well, that was a different meaning. But this year could be right on par. Week 18 means something. You know, win and get in, uh, win and change your yeah, whatever. Uh, but that game's going to mean something uh, down the stretch. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really, really cool. Such a profound series in the history of this franchise. 
it's the only divisional opponent, the Colts, that the Texans have played in a playoff game. And they lost that playoff game. Yeah. But that just adds more fuel to the fire, really. And by the way, side note on the Patriots here. They lost to the Giants. I mean, here, here are their last two losses. 10-6, 10-7. It ain't going well. No. Ouch. That is horrible. No. You lose no. two games in a row, giving up 10 points in each game. You can't eclipse 10 points. Their defense is, I don't want to say the word fine, but I think it's good enough to win some games here. They've allowed yep. some pretty high point totals, but that's because the offense can't do anything and they're turning it over like it's on fire. I mean, three points against the Cowboys, scoreless against the Saints at home, 17 against the Dolphins. Okay, 17. Commanders, 17. They get beaten at home by Washington 20 to 17. Anyway, I'm eager to see how that thing's going to play out. That's going to be a great story in the sense of a dramatic story. Okay. The storytelling part of the NFL. All right. One more segment. That special anniversary. What is it right out of the shoot next? It's Texans radio. Okay. We're back and it happened on November 28th of 2010. The Texans were mired in a very frustrating campaign. Very frustrating. Started out 4-2, and two, but then started to lose games at the buzzer. Hail Mary in Jacksonville. Horror show late against the New York Jets. Bad moments late against the Chargers here at home, etc. But in came the Titans with Rusty Smith at quarterback. And along the way, Cortland Finnegan, cornerback for... Your Tennessee Titans, not yours, theirs. And Andre Johnson, they were mixing it up all game long. Finally, Andre had enough. Finnegan pulled off his helmet. They went at it. Let's listen to a little bit of this. A lot of pushing and shoving, and somebody's got to pull Andre Johnson out. Jeff Fisher at midfield with Cortland Finnegan trying to keep him out of it. And this thing is not even broken up officially yet as Antonio Smith is in the mix. Jason McCourty in the mix. And now peace prevails for the moment. Flags everywhere. And Andre Johnson close to the sideline now, but he is far from cool as he almost went back into the melee for more action. Well, I'm crowning on my, my, uh, in my point system, I give it to Andre. Couple of uppercuts were landed. We're waiting for a replay. Oh, Finnegan is winking. Just horrible. Finnegan is a dirty player, and he admits it. As Dre and I will look at the monitor, and Andre Johnson, oh, Finnegan ripped Dre's helmet off. Dre was really going at it with Finnegan. There were punches thrown. It was Let's all see. Andre Johnson. All right, in the call there, I really don't have, I didn't have my binoculars directly on the fight, which is, it doesn't last too long when you look at a video replay of this. But, Johnny, I want to throw this angle at you first about the Finnegan fight. Because when we're doing all this Andre stuff, and once again, he's a Hall of Fame semifinalist. We expect him to be a finalist. We expect him to get in at some point. But the the element of this being Dre's, one of his greatest moments, okay? If you poll the fans, many of them, many, I can't give you a percentage, will say that is his greatest moment. It's a fight. But I'm going to say this. I was watching the Nolan Ryan movie. And, oh, yeah. And Nolan Ryan and Robin Ventura when Ventura came after him on the mound and he wails on Ventura, that might be Nolan's signature moment of his career. The one that endures more than any other. Is there another moment in Nolan's career? This is a man who threw seven no hitters, seven, 
But the Robin Ventura fight is the one that stands out in people's minds. I used to think there was something wrong with Finnegan being the moment or at least one of the top three. But now I don't. Why not? Nolan Ryan's got it. That's good company as far as I'm concerned. Am I right? I think it is for a lot of fans because it feels like Andre is standing up to the Titans bully. Yeah. And he is delivering those punches for us. Those are delivered for us. And I think, you know, as it, as it pertains to Nolan too, it's, he, he's been asked about, and he was asked about it. I want to say in the documentary, he was talked about that he has probably signed that picture more often than yeah. any other picture of him with Ventura and headlock. But I think what it is for both guys, both of them were very, I don't say soft spoken. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't say a whole lot. You know, they spoke with their play. And I think both moments for Dre and for Nolan, they were, were badasses. Don't mess with us. Yeah. But I think the fans looked at and, and interestingly enough, I think that the Rangers fans, they saw it as he's standing up for us to come in the same way because yeah. that was a White Sox Rangers thing that they had going on at the time. And so Nolan was standing up for the Rangers by A, buzzing the tower on Ventura. And then when Ventura came out there to take, you know, take business into his own hands. So both guys would, you know, it's funny because I don't think either one really loved talking about it, but if you kind of get them going on it, mm-hmm. they'll talk about it, um, which I, I find interesting. But I feel like that as a Houston fan, like he, 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 he lobbed those punches on the, Finne- the back of Finnegan's head. Boy, that was for us. Yes. And I know it was for him. He had been tired of what was going on, but he did that for us. The ultimate Texan nailing the bully Titan right there on the field for everyone to see and making Finnegan like it. It's just the ultimate moment in a fan when our guy is standing up for us. Yeah. And I would imagine the Rangers fans felt that way when Nolan did it. I felt that way when Andre was doing it like, yeah, yeah. Andre, like, it's one of the moments I wish I had been on the sidelines for prior to me being there in 2014. I would have loved to have been there for that moment. I didn't play it, but Rich Lord had a pretty good call on it. It wasn't yeah. live, but Rich described it very well because he was looking right at it. He was on the yeah. sideline, and it was right in his line of vision. You know, when I yeah. call the game, I've got the binoculars. You know, I'm zoomed in on the yeah. ball. Right. Uh, I have to look at the ball. If I don't look at the ball, we're all dead on the radio. Got to look at the ball where it's going. So I missed the initial activity, but I've seen the video a billion times, and one thing is clear. You don't want to mess with Andre Johnson. No. 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 <laughs> I mean, that do just... not take Do not take his soft-spoken, doesn't say a whole lot of oh. words. That man, he has got fired just like everybody else, and that's what made him so great. And congratulations to Dre for being a semifinalist again for the Hall of Fame. I hope this is the year, Mark. I hope this is finally the year. I think had he played – Another great, even half season, but another great season, another 800 to 1,000 yard season, he'd be in the top 10 of everything he would get in, right? He doesn't have the touchdowns. We know he's got the catches. We know he's got the yards. I think he's got the people. You know, as long as McLean is around to help remind everybody of how great he was, uh, what, what really upsets me about Andre is that when people talk about Megatron and some of the other receivers who are around, and Megatron's great. I'm not taking one little thing away from Megatron. 
But you cannot sit here and tell me that Megatron is so much better than Andre Johnson. No freaking way. I watched yep. them both, and Andre Johnson rocks. Andre Johnson was the thing to come see at NRG Stadium every week for years until the team really started to get it going. And a huge reason why the Texans got really good on offense in they got much better in 07. They were 14th in the league. And then they go on this run where they're top four, three out of four, five years. And he's a big reason why they are in that because he is the straw that stirs the drink and put up astronomical numbers. So I really pray he gets in soon. It'd be great next summer. Hey, let's do the Hall of Fame game next summer in Canton, huh? Yes. That would be awesome. I mean, that'd, that'd be, be awesome. great. That'd be great. I'd, I'd love to see it. Love to uh, check it all out. So, Johnny, what do you got going on on matchup tonight? We're going to look back at the Ultimate 11 uh, plays of the game against Jacksonville and tell the story of the game. We'll look back at week 13, week, week 12 in the NFL. I always get college. College is always one ahead. So, uh-huh. week 12 in the NFL is a pretty exciting weekend. And then we'll look back at the last time. I forgot about 2018. I went all the way back to 2012 and found some cool moments when the Broncos and Texans met. That's a when better game. Matt Schaub went absolutely crazy against the Broncos in 2012. Well, you know who played quarterback for the Broncos in 2018? It was Case Keenum. It was Case Keenum, which is how we began the show tonight with Case on the Texans Huddle Players Show. So that was really cool. Johnny, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Yeah, Mark, thank you. All right, coming up, it's Texans matchup with John Harris. Now, on the Wednesday night show, Nick Casario right out of the gate at 6 o'clock, and we will take it from there. Jalen Petrie is going to be on a deep slant interview. Well, now we just call it the slant with no DB. Brandon Harris will do do it tomorrow. It'll be Jalen Petrie and also some bonus time with Neville Hewitt. Dave Logan, voice of the Broncos, scheduled to appear. We've got an OG's podcast with ND at some point, either tomorrow or Friday, with Jeff Tarpinian, who played for the Texans for a limited time, but he's a guy who does a lot of banking here for Amogee in town. He's a really good dude and very interesting interview. A lot of great stuff coming up here on Texans Radio. You know you want to be a part of it. Thanks for listening. Go Texans!